How you folks doing? Welcome to Cuyahoga Today, a podcast by the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party. I'm congressional candidate and your host, Matt Deemer. This week's episodes, we have two Democratic judicial candidates on the show, both vying for John Satulo's seat. In this episode, we talked to Fallon Marie Radigan. But the other Democratic candidate in this race is Ray Tarasic. So wherever you're listening to this, if it's on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or even watching on YouTube, make sure you take the opportunity to watch both of these interviews because both of these are Democratic candidates vying for the John Satula seat. If you want to reach out to me, you can reach out to me at M-D-I-E-M-E-R at Kaidem.com. That's C-U-Y-D-E-M.com. Enjoy. Fallon Marie Radigan, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So you are running for the Court of Common Pleas. You're running to be a judge. And the way that I understand it, there's multiple seats that you could choose to run for. Which one are you running for? That is correct. I am running for the seat that is currently occupied by Judge John Satula. He is aging out um, at the end of his term. What does that mean? So you cannot run after the age of 70. So um, that's where we're at. He is aging out. He will be unable to run again. And his term is up uh, January 8th of 2025. Excellent, excellent. And you're going to try to go right into his seat. um, And you have a contested race. You and Ray Terasic are running for this seat. Mm -hmm. But we're not talking about him. We're talking about you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I did grow up in the area. I grew up in North Ridgeville. um, And I grew up in a blue-collared family. My dad was a truck driver. My mom was a teacher. um, And you know, they really instilled in us hard work and resilience really pays off. And all you have in the world is your integrity. And I've tried to do that throughout my career because your word is the only thing you have um, in in life and um, in this career that I have chosen. Um, so that's a little bit about where I grew up. I have an older brother and I, I'm married. As you know, I got married last year. And congratulations, thank by the way. Thank you. And I just have a newborn. Um, congratulations double. <laughs> thank you. Uh, little Charlie is four weeks today. So I had him about four weeks ago. So that it has changed your life instantly, uh, which is awesome. So, so maternity leave is running a campaign. <laughs> I guess so, <laughs> <Okay>. right? <laughs> um, uh, after hours, that's what I do because I'm with him all day because um, my husband is back to work, obviously. And um, so we kind of are just trying to wing it. And we're trying to figure this whole parenting thing out and running a campaign at the same time. Was your dad a union guy? A teamster maybe? Or? No, he was um, not Not to my knowledge. He was. Um, he owned his own business for a while and then okay. worked for a company that went across the country. So... Um, but my husband's family is all unions. Uh, my father-in-law worked for um, First Energy as electrician. Mm-hmm. Uh, my husband was actually in a baker's union, and his grandfather worked um, in a union as well. Um, Steel Republic, Republic Steel. Okay, excellent, excellent. So you're running a campaign mm-hmm. to be a judge on the Court of Common Pleas. Yes. Why do you want to be a common pleas judge? I mean, your your career seems to be going well. You're a prosecutor. Mm-hmm. Um, you just had a family. But why, why do you want to take that next step? So throughout the, my career, I've done everything at the prosecutor's office. I've done everything criminally that you have seen. You know, as you know, I don't know if everyone knows, I am the director of the Internet Crimes <clears throat> Against Children Task Force. So I get to help the most vulnerable people in our community, which is our children. And I think that is probably the best job that I've had throughout my 
career. Um, and you become a prosecutor because you want to help people and you care about the community. You don't do it because of the fame and the glory. You do it because you want to make our communities better. Right. And, you know, there's only so much you can do as a prosecutor. And I think that's why the next step is becoming a judge. And that's why I want to do that. And I'd be wrong and you'd be, um, you'd probably say the same thing, that there are systematic failures within the Justice Center. And I think becoming a judge really can help you um, understand where people are coming from and you have a better position on what you can do in sentencing and how you can help individuals that are before your court, not just the victims. You told me, I mean, we, we've met multiple, multiple times yes. in that conversation, so uh, this full disclosure for everybody. <laughs> it's not like we're just coming in here like, I don't, I don't know, no Fallon, uh, but like you told me about some of the cases that you were worked on, obviously mm -hmm. without disclosing who they were, but just like the you know general overview of some of these cases. It's a lot to process some of these cases. Mm -hmm. it, it must take a big toll on you mentally, physically, um, emotionally. Um, how do you work through that? I mean, and then, you know, you're the prosecutor in these cases. Now, when you're going to be a judge, you're going to see everything, not just the cases you're working on, but all of them. How are you going to handle, I guess, the mental health of this? So I think a lot of what we get to do. And I asked Carl this too, by the way. Yeah. Uh, it was a, another episode. Everybody's wondering. Carl is running for a judge uh, seat as well. Carl um, Mazzone. But I'm asking everybody this because it's just such a burden, in my opinion. You know, you at the end of the day, you know that you're doing good work. Right. And I, I would be uh, lying to you if I said there aren't good days and bad days. Mm. And there are bad days. There are bad days when you lose a case. Um, most of my career has been with child victim cases. So when I went from juvenile court to general felony to um, child victim major trial unit. So I was dealing with um, individuals, young children that are were harmed. And when young children have to testify, and if you lose a case, um, you know, you have children that come up to you and say, why didn't no one believe me? And that that is heartbreaking. But at the end of the Ooh. day, you know, I've always tried to keep a case. So if I met a child, because sometimes these these victims don't have one adult that they can consistently count on. And I tried to be that one adult that was consistent. Right. So even though I've changed positions um, throughout the, my 14 years at the office, I try to keep those child victim cases, especially if I've met them, because you get to build a relationship with them. And when you lose those cases, they still say thank you for believing in you. Right. And those are the things that you kind of have to really grab your, your focus on, because you know, someone, they, they have someone that they can actually talk to and count on. And so the, that's part of the mental um, kind of distress that you go through sometimes, like the win and right. losses. But it's not about winning and losing. It's about justice. And you have to really have to realize that you're doing good work. And that's why it's so important to do the community outreach. As the director of the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force, we get to go out into the communities and you get to talk to kids. And kids are asking us questions. And for someone that's 40 years old and a teenager is asking me how to protect themselves on the internet, I think we're mm. doing something right. Mm. And I think those are the things that really help you through the bad days because you are doing good things. And you know, you have to have an outlet as well. You have to you have to have a family that you can count on when you're having a bad day. Or, you know, I'm a big runner, obviously before uh, I was pregnant, I had to stop running for a while, but those are outlets that you're able to have. And I think that's important. This might be a question that I don't know if you, 
I, I, I'm going to ask it because I'm curious, okay. um, but it's not on our sheet. It's, it's nothing we discussed, but uh, you just had a new baby, Charlie, and you, you have all of these, you know, crimes with, you know, juveniles and kids involved with them. What gives you hope when you're having a family and kids yourself? I think you always have to have hope because there are we are in a violence driven world right now mm-hmm. and that or hate a hateful world let's be honest there's a lot of hate that's going on and you have to have hope and the moment that I saw Charlie being born that just makes everything better that's awesome. and I think you just have to realize that there are good people and there are good things happening in the world even though it is kind of a crazy world right now and little Charlie gives me hope that's awesome mm-hmm. that's awesome how would you do let's go back to the main topic now okay. um, <laughs> how would you define being a common police judge how would you define it yeah like how would i want to be or how exactly how would you want to be what, what do you think you're what if you were to write your own job description what would it be i think f- the one thing you have to have as a common police judge is compassion and i think you have to be approachable and you have to respect individuals that come into your courtroom. Because there are so many times that individuals are scared to come into a a courtroom. For me, being in the Justice Center as a litigator, every day I'm in the Justice Center. Um, Someone like you might not be in there every day. or or you've Right? Right. Or you've never been in there. And, or have you been there to support someone, or you've been a witness, or you've gotten a ticket and you have to go down to um, the city. But, The reality of the situation is we see people on their worst days, whether it's a defendant or a victim. And even if you've committed a horrendous crime, you should still be treated with respect. And I think that that starts with the judge. And you have to understand where individuals are coming from. And you have to be approachable as a judge. And I think too many times judges... um, are afraid to be approachable and they don't want to talk to lawyers and or um, tell the defendant what they're thinking or what kind of questions they have. And I think that's important because I think as a judge, we ha- they have tools that are available to them, like mitigation of penalty reports and pre-sentence reports. But if a defendant doesn't feel comfortable with you, why are they gonna tell you that they have a drug addiction or if that they have some mental health issues? And that goes so, if they don't trust their attorneys either. You know, if they aren't able to tell a defense attorney that they have a drug addiction or mental health issues, um, we can't help them in the justice center. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I think being approachable and being respectful to individuals really does help someone. One thing I, talk to a lot of people about and when I talk to judges and prosecutors and defense uh, defense attorneys as well is they all talk about the efficient court and running an efficient court and some judges run an efficient court and some don't I have no clue what that means what does that mean and will you run an efficient court well I hope to run an efficient court uh, <laughs> and in the Justice Center being efficient means you know getting in and out of the courtroom in a, in a speedy manner, or at least you kind of have expectations with mm-hmm. regards to what's going to happen. If you are told to be in a courtroom at 8.30, but then you don't you don't get out of there till 10.30, is that efficient for anyone? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what a lot of people think of as, as efficient, um, because you have individuals that are taking off work, right. uh, victims and defendants. And... A lot of these times, it, let's look at lower level felonies, that if it's a breaking and entering type of case or a theft case, um, a lot of times restitution is ordered. So when a defendant is supposed to be at work 
and but it has to be in court. He takes off work, or she, they take off work, mm-hmm. and they're losing the day, day's pay. And so, um, or they're trying to come at lunch. Mm-hmm. And, you're, and so I think a lot of times um, you have to be a little flexible as well with efficiency. Um, and I think um, that's a big issue that we see sometimes, especially when everything is set at 9 o'clock. So you have all the judges in the building trying to get every defense attorney that is, you know, a lot of our defense attorneys don't just practice in Kyle County. They practice in the city of Cleveland. They pack, practice in Lorain County, different counties. Oh, I didn't uh, a lot that. of people do federal court. Mm. And so, you know, you have to have a little flexibility when it comes to scheduling. And a lot of times you're, you, you get to talk to the prosecutor for 30 seconds and right. be like, hey, I need more time. That's what we talk about is not being efficient. How do, you, how, do you, how do you square the circle or is it circle the square? I don't even know what it is. Anyway, you know <laughs> what I'm saying. When running a, an efficient court and having due process and justice and having a fair trial or, or you're doing the things properly mm-hmm. to make sure everybody's heard you know, uh, with their sides so you're making a good judgment. Mm-hmm. So I think you have to really listen to the lawyer's I think you have to let lawyers be lawyers. And I think you have to understand that if the prosecutor says that they need 30 days before a DNA report comes back or mm-hmm. the medical examiner report isn't done, I think you have to really listen to the prosecutor and the defense attorney. Because yes, we need, we want everyone to have a speedy trial and we want everyone to get in front of the court as soon as possible. But we also wanna make sure that everyone has all the evidence that is available. Right, balancing that qual- mm-hmm. quantity and quality, right, right, of the trial. Especially with, and I'm not, ta- in. Let's take the lower level felonies out of it, but let's talk at like aggravated murder trial. You need all of those reports before you go forward. Right. You need the DNA report. You need the medical examiner report. Sometimes you need um, expert reports from the defense needs to get expert reports, and those take time. And sometimes that isn't as fast as some people would like it to be. But that's where you have to really look at the attorneys and know that they're working hard and that's where you have to check in with them and that's where the judges come into play like where are we at is are we really going to make this 30 days or do you need you know 45 days Mm -hmm. because you have a trial date a lot of um, times you get a trial date early on and so you you kind of have to balance a defendant's rights with getting all the evidence because you can't go forward without all the evidence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I have two more questions here, and I'm, I'm actually put them together because I, I feel that they kind of go together. Okay. Uh, one thing is, what are some things that you see in the court that you want to change? But I also want to put that with sentencing because okay. we've been talking about, and look, there's a very contentious um, prosecutor race going on right now. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest talking points, right, with this race, within that race, is bindovers. Correct. Minors that people under the age of 18 mm-hmm. that do really horrible crimes that are getting tried as adults. Mandatory. Mm-hmm. Right. And sometimes the discretion is discretionary, but they're getting tried as adults. How would you, one, look at those cases, look at repeat offenders, look at full, first-time offenders, and is there anything within all of those processes that you would want to see changed in your court? Okay. So with regards to the bindovers, I'll start with that. Okay. Um, so a lot. I, of I these, like to load up questions sometimes. <laughs> Just go fine. for it. No, but I mean that's the, that's the, a lot of the issue right now. I think across the I think it's across the country the bindovers, um, and I think even I think like the Boston Celtics are getting involved in trying to move this uh, movement forward about um, talking about bindovers and what what individuals can do. 
right now in the state of Ohio, as a judge, you have to follow the law. Mm-hmm. And with mandatory bindovers, like a murder or an aggravated murder, those are statutory um, sentences. Mm-hmm. So your hands are kind of tied as a judge if an individual pleads guilty to a murder. You said kind of tied. What does that mean? They're, they are, they're tied. Okay, gotcha. So, yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so your hands are tied unless you can do like a um, agreed time, but it's going to be, it's still double digits, right? Right. And so, um, and that there's some technicalities with that, but um, for, let's just stay, um, like, it's a life tale if you commit a murder. And, it, and you... If someone pleads guilty to that, you have to you have to follow the law. And right. you're, as a judge, your hands are tied. However, there are other cases like an aggravated robbery that has a three-year gun spec. So you have to look at okay, a gun spec, a gun specification is mandatory time. Sorry, okay. <laughs> you yeah, looked at yeah. me a little funny. I'm sorry. Well, I, I, a gun I think specific. we're all probably looking at them like gun spec. What's going sorry. on? Sorry, the lingo's so, coming out. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, the gun specifications are mandatory time. So. If a 16-year-old is bound over to adult court and they plead guilty to a gun specification and, and the underlying crime, um, you can look at it as how how does this relate to what they would be charged to or what be sentenced to in juvenile court. Mm-hmm. And so a 16-year-old can go from 16 to 21. Mm-hmm. So a, a life sentence at, in juvenile court is up to the age of 21. Mm-hmm. And so I think you have to kind of correlate what they would plead guilty to in, in adult court and what they were see, seeing in juvenile court. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you kind of have to measure that um, you have to look at what they would have been facing in juvenile court and what they're facing now. Mm-hmm. Also, I think you have to really use um, the tools that are available to you at, at the Justice Center, like a task assessment if they have any drug issues. You have to look at their history, um, and you have to get a mitigation of penalty report and a pre-sentence report. Those are all reports that give you an idea of what this individual child or minor has been going through. Mm-hmm. And... Um, that really helps you kind of build what your sentence could be mm-hmm. and also helping that individual as well. Because sometimes, unfortunately, your hands are tied when you have a certain sentence that you have to go, you know, you right. have to go through. Right. Repeat offenders, first time offenders. How do you look at those? So I think, again, every individual case is different, even with bind over cases, individuals that may have a record. Um, in juvenile court, mm-hmm. I still think you have to look at them individually. Um, and you have to see kind of where they're coming from. You have to look at their backgrounds and what help do they have. Um, first-time offenders, I mean, there are first-time offender programs. There's diversion programs that are available. And, you know, as a as a prosecutor, I advocated for those when they fit. There are drug treatment programs that are available for individuals. Um, there are mental health dockets and drug courts that would be available. And as a judge, I would... Um, refer those if they're if they're asked to go to those um, type of programs but um, so those are things that you can look at as first-time offenders because you know some people have a you know do something bad and they're not a bad person Mm -hmm. and I say that with you know you don't know what the struggles people are going through until they're before court and I think you really have to look at that and not just in first-time offenders I think you have to look at that at repeat offenders as well because just because someone committed a crime five years ago doesn't mean 
they haven't changed in those five years Mm -hmm. for the better. And, you know, sometimes um, you really do have to look at a case by case basis and see what the person is doing and what they're saying, because a lot of times um, we're not listening to what people are saying. And I think you really need to do that um, as a judge and as a lawyer um, in this court. You have to really look at what people are are seeing, Um, you know, and I think that's important. I think I lied when I said I have, uh, that was my last question. I think I have one more question. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And and this is a two-part question. Number one is, how much flexibility does a judge have, and how much flexibility are you going to have, are you going to try to have uh, when you create sentences? Like, look, there is no mental health institutions you can send people to. Everything is jail or probation, it Mm -hmm. seems like, or nothing, right? So where where, where is that creativity that you're going to have there? That's number one. That's my first question. mm -hmm. I'd like to find some new ways to, you know, do this. But the other thing is, are you prepared, mentally prepared to throw somebody in jail for life? I think you have to be mentally prepared to seek this job, right? Um, And as a prosecutor, I have tried cases that have been life sentences. And I have prosecuted those cases. And I, as a prosecutor, I have convicted individuals of life sentences. And that's just a reality of the job. And, you know... You kind of sometimes have to take emotion out of that part of it Um, because, you know, a life sentence with the cases that I was typically doing were child rape cases. Mm -hmm. And those are life sentences uh, at a certain age Um, or aggravated murder trials. Those are life sentences. Um, And so you have to one, you have to make sure that the as a judge, you get to make sure that everything is being followed and the lawyers are doing their job. Right. And I think that's really important because just because someone committed a crime, we still as a prosecutor have to prove that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of times when people say, you know, I can't believe a defense attorney would defend someone that has done a certain crime. Well, they right. they're allowed they're allowed to right. have rights and that's what our justice system's about. Right. And so, I think sometimes you have to take that emotional part away. But that doesn't mean you're not listening to what people are saying in front of you. And so mentally and emotionally, I am prepared to do that. Um, I'm not going to say it's going to be easy because it's not. I mean, you're taking someone's life life away. Right, exactly. And and that means there's there's two families that are affected in that. It's the defendant's family and then it is the victim's family. Right. Or and or the victim, you know, um, and. I've had emotional cases where, you know, I had one just a couple months ago where um, it was an individual, it was a rape case of um, a child and um, child exploitation material was being made with that child. And no one won in that situation. The child lost a family member and the victim's family has now been changed for life and this individual has been changed for life. And so, you know, those that's a reality of of the job that we do as in criminal law. That's the job that you take on. Unfortunately, you have to make those tough decisions. And, and how much flexibility do you have and with, you know, creating new kind of ways to. I think you have to really look at we have to follow the guidelines. So I know I'm sure you've heard about the sentencing guidelines that we have to follow. So um, you can go to anything from probation to um to um, prison, right? right? And so, but there are things that you can do. There are, you know, you can get them involved in the community. You can ask them to get their GEDs if they don't have one. You can order. And that um, could be court ordered to say, go get your GED, court order. Yes. It yeah, is. two years. Mm-hmm. 
It can be. And so I what think. What about degree? What about trade schools? All that could be. That you can, can be as be, creative as you want. Yes, then. you can be. Yes. But I think you need to really. Make me a grilled cheese sandwich by Friday or else. I don't going, think that. I don't no. think that works. <laughs> Okay. I don't think that would work, but you can be creative with certain things like going, getting a jo- like a lot of um, times if you're on probation, I want you to get a job. I want you to graduate from high school. And, you know, they're trying, I think when those um, creative ways are doing, um, getting someone to make themselves better, mm-hmm. because sometimes you're, I'm sure as I've never been in someone's shoes that I have been facing a felony judge before, but I'm sure you're not feeling great about your your situation. And so sometimes when you get those, you get a job, you get your GED, um, you do community service. That makes you feel like, not proud, but like better about yourself. And sometimes people just don't finish high school because of the situations that they're in. And I think that is kind of a stigma people have, like, oh, I never graduated high school and I really wanted to. And so I think that, that helps people when they they've they've gotten success with getting their GED and getting a job because it is hard out there and especially if you have been convicted of a crime it's even harder and I think those are creative ways that people can make themselves better. Fallon, where can anybody find you? Volunteer, donate to your campaign. Oh, thank you. Uh, they can go to my website, uh, radiganforjudge.com. So it's pretty easy. Um, and how do, you, how do you spell Radigan? R A D I G A N. For judge. For judge. Dot com. Dot com. Excellent. Yes. Thanks, Valley, for coming in. Thank you. Appreciate it.